This is a day that we reflect on fathers, uh, Father's Day. And for many of us, there's a great deal to be thankful for and of when we think about our fathers. As I reflect on it, it often takes years before we actually come to realize the place and the role that our fathers played in our lives. Uh, Sometimes good, sometimes bad, and sometimes it was bad, and uh, we realized that maybe it wasn't as bad as we thought. And uh, and so we reflect on these sorts of things, though. I've done a lot of funerals in my day, and I've heard a lot of eulogies in my day, and a lot of children speak about their fathers. And one of the things that is not as popular or as, as high on the sort of eulogies as I, I think it should be is something along the lines of this is that my dad gave me appreciation for the Word of God. My dad gave me an appreciation for scriptures. My dad was a Deuteronomy 6 father. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, and soul. And then he talked about it and he thought about it all the days of his life. And he talked about it with me when I walked along the road with him and when I went fishing with him and when he tucked me into bed at night and when we sat around the table and meals and he made sure together with my mom that we had things in our home that reminded us of the word of God. My dad was a Deuteronomy 6 dad. Or my dad was a Deuteronomy or a Proverbs. We could say Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 dad. If you read those texts, you will see where the writer there says, a father speaking to a son, my son, and we say, my children, obey the commands of the Lord, love the commands of the Lord, walk in the ways of the God, develop the character and quality of God in your life, and it will give you a life of richness and of peace and of joy. Why? Why is that so important? Well, it's so important because words matter. And we've been wrestling with that in, in, in the book of Peter. That's why we get to this place where we are today about words, because words matter. And we say, well, whose words matter? Whose words do we listen to? Whose words shape our lives? Whose words determine the course of our life? Remember, at the heart of what Peter is getting to is he's, he's, he's talking about the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are words which tell us about a certain future reality. That Jesus Christ is coming in power and in glory. But there are those who say, no, that's never going to happen. That's just Christian stuff. And so Peter said, well, no, we actually had a glimpse of that when we were on the Mount of Transfiguration. We actually had a preview when his face was radiant and his clothes turned white and God spoke and the dead were raised and we talked with each other. We had a glimpse of that. And he says what's even more important is we actually have that written and recorded in the Word of God. God's word, the scriptures, the Old Testament speak about the power and the coming of Jesus, a day of judgment. And he says, and we need to understand that those words were not words made up by men. They were words that God gave to us himself through the work of the Holy Spirit as he spoke through men and they recorded the very word of God. So we have Peter setting us up here. He's saying we have the very words of God here. Words that ought to shape our lives. Words that ought to determine the course of our lives. But then notice what he says right away in verse 1 of chapter 2 as he's continuing on. And sometimes we, I wish we didn't have these chapter divisions. But he says, But false prophets also arose among the people, and there will also be false teachers among you. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying that there will be those who will come along and they will speak different words to you. 
They will speak words to you that are contrary to the words that God has spoken to you. And you're going to have to determine which words you will listen to. You're going to have to gauge what those individuals are saying and do they line up with the word of God, the words that come to us from God that have been given to us by the one who created us to guide and direct our lives. Pastor Barry read from Deuteronomy chapter 13, which talked about the possibility, if a false prophet comes among you, Peter is saying here now that just as there were false prophets among the people of Israel, there will be false teachers amongst the church of God. And so what I want to just take a couple minutes is to explain that or talk about that. Because Peter has made a point. He's saying, listen, we haven't come to you with cleverly devised tales. We're not here trying to trick you. We have the word of God. You have it before you. You can see if God, what he says, comes true. He knows the past, the present, and the future. Only God who made this world knows the past, present, and the future. We haven't told you cleverly devised tales. But look at the very end of verse 3 there. He says, in greed, they will exploit you with false words. So we have to understand, who do we listen to in life? Who will guide and direct our path? Who will instruct us about the end of this age? And so he wants to tell us about false teachers. And I want to just make a number of observations from this text about false teachers for us this morning. And the first thing is this. The thing about false teachers is they come from within the church. And that should be a little bit shocking to us. It should actually be a little bit jolting to us. I don't think this is meant to apply that in every local expression of the body of Christ there are false teachers. But I think it is meant to remind us that it is possible within any local of body of Christ for a false teacher to arise or to gain access. Every local body of believers has the potential to have a false teacher come in amongst them. One of the things that we've noticed over this last number of years is the the, the, the access to the internet that we have, and because we've had these 15 months of isolation, I know many of you are listening to more teachers online than you ever have before. And that's a wonderful thing, a great opportunity to hear great teaching. But there are as many false teachers that are using those internet options to spew things that are false words and destructive heresies. And so Peter says that these false teachers will arise from among you. This is what um, Paul said to the Ephesian elders the very last time he saw them. As he was talking to them, he says this to them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. This is a, the Ephesian church. He says, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Or in another place in Matthew, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but outwardly are ravenous wolves, or inwardly are ravenous wolves. Or in another place, Jesus says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise, and they will perform great signs and wonders. Just as we read from Deuteronomy chapter 13, if they perform a great sign or wonder, it doesn't mean that there's not power. It doesn't mean that the devil doesn't have power and can't perform signs and miracles. But if the intent of those is to draw you away from obedience to Christ, then you are to have nothing to do with it. 
Because he says, they will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And so the thing about false teachers, Peter says at first, is they will arise from among you. It's just something we ought to be aware of and we ought to know. Second thing he says about false teachers is they don't broadcast their presence. I don't think I've ever seen a false uh, teacher, and I've, I've read their books, and I've listened to some of their stuff online, and I've actually had them in churches that I've been part in. They don't walk around with a banner saying, I'm a false teacher. This is what Peter says here. It's kind of like counterfeit currency. You can slip a fake bill in amongst real bills, and because they're so much alike initially, you don't see the difference. But where you really get into trouble, if you try and use that fake bill and there's a scanner, a way to detect it, and you're caught. There's the subtle changes or differences that will make a bill a fake bill. And so he says, they don't broadcast their presence. They creep in unnoticed, as Jude says, um, and they teach destructive heresies. It's, it's, it's really important to grasp that in our head. When we hear the word heresy, what's the first thing you think of? I think we think of something really, really outlandish, like somebody denying that Christ was raised from the dead. That's a heresy. Or we think that a, a heresy might be the denying that a God is one in three persons. Or we might think that it's a heresy to say that Christ actually never came to earth. Really big things, but what he's talking about here is not in-your-face error, but the word Pharisee really means sect or faction. And in fact, a lot of commentators use a word which we're very familiar with today, variant. They come in and they teach something that is a little bit different than the original. It's, it's morphed, it's changed a little bit, but then he adds a adjective to describe it and he says but they are destructive variants and when we hear the word destructive in first peter not only are we to think of temporary destruction but we are to think of eternal destruction and so these are variants that if we engage them and embrace them they will lead us if we embrace them wholeheartedly they will lead us to destruction See, there's an element of truth in often what they say, but the way they use them is destructive and harmful to us spiritually. Remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil, what did the devil use? He used Scripture. And if Jesus, though, had have obeyed Satan and followed the way that Satan used Scripture, he would have ended in destruction. Peter tells us in uh, verse 16 of chapter 3, that there are some things that, that people find hard to understand about the scriptures. He says, which the unstable and, or which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. You see what they're doing? They take something in scripture, they can't understand it, or they don't like it, or they don't know where it's going, and so they twist it to suit their own purposes, but it results in their own destruction. As we, one way that I, I, I like to understand this is that we can have the same language but a different dictionary. We can have the same language but a different dictionary. Think of this again this way. I, I, I've been a part of many funerals, both just as an attendee and one that has led them. And what you often hear, or in fact always hear, is, oh, they're in heaven. 
And they, they could have been a well-known, ungodly person. I don't know the heart, but we're speaking about actions now. Somebody who's never confessed Christ, but they say they're in heaven. And we say, well, when we die, we're going to heaven. Same language, but a different dictionary. How do you get to heaven? Does everybody just go to heaven? Do those who do good works go to heaven? Or do we get to heaven only through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and by putting our trust in him and receiving his righteousness um, put onto our lives so God accepts us? Same language. We're all going to heaven. Different dictionary, which explains how we get to heaven. And so Peter says that of these false prophets, they secretly introduce these things on the sly. They bring them in from the outside, or as Jude says, they creep in unnoticed. As another individual says, they're spiritual mercenary. They come in with new things. They tell appealing stories that twist the scriptures. The third thing that Peter says is very clear. He says, you can see it there in Verse 1, even denying the master who bought them. That's a fascinating phrase. It's troubled me for many, many years in my life. And I, I suspect that Peter had a hard time writing that. Because we know that Peter denied Christ, didn't he? He denied him when Christ was um, um, brought in and being charged. But I've, I've wrestled with this phrase. Well, what does it mean, denying the master who bought them? As you can well imagine, those words can turn into theological debate. So is he saying here that you can be saved and lose your salvation? Is that what he's saying? And so then you argue that out and you discuss that. Is that what Peter is saying here? I'm not convinced. In fact, there are some, very, there are some things that are very unclear here that help me press the balance of how I understand it. First, the word that Peter uses is master, despotes. It's a word that's used in the Bible, but as far as I can see, it's a word that is seldom, seldom, if ever used of Christ. It's never a reference to Christ. When it's a reference to Christ, it's curios or Lord. And so that's unclear. Is he talking about Christ or is he not? The second thing that you have to wrestle with is when he says the one who bought them. Is Peter referring here to eternal redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ? Or is Peter referring here to deliverance by God from the defilement of the world, which we read in passages like Hebrews chapter 6? I can read a couple verses from that to give you a glimpse of that. Uh, and then we can read some from, uh, from Peter. But in Hebrews chapter 6, you're very familiar with this. He says, For it is impossible... In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them to repentance. In other words, he's saying they've had a taste. These are people that they've come to church. They may be even raised in church. They've experienced the, the moving of the Holy Spirit. They've, they've seen the Spirit of God move in a service. They've heard the word of God read, and it's, it's tingled their hearts a little bit. But they've never embraced it. They've never bought it. They've never submitted their life to it. They've never turned to Christ. They've been exposed by God from the defilements of the world to another way of life. 
but they've never embraced it. In fact, that's what Peter says about these false teachers. When you get to verse 20 and 21 there, he says, Therefore, it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than to, knowing it, turn back from it, because what is true of the Proverbs has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit. Dogs by nature eat their own vomit, so the nature has never changed. And he says, the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. She's the, a pig is by nature something that loves to wallow in mud. And if you wash them, five minutes later, they're going to go back to the mud. So I think what Peter is saying here is these are individuals who have been exposed to the goodness of God and seen the alternative way of God. But they've not, they're not denying Christ, and they're not losing their eternal redemption. In other words, in the words of a, another uh, individual that I read on this, he suggests that this is the language of observation. In other words, these are individuals that, for all intents and purposes, it looks like they've been followers of Christ. They speak the right things, but their actions betray what they say. They want to take the name of Jesus, but not the message of Jesus. They don't deny him with their mouths. They deny him with their actions. Because remember, Peter has been saying that those that God has done amazing things for us. And our response to God's saving work in our life is what? To put on Christ. Remember, he says, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither ineffectual or unfruitful. And you gain a wide entrance into heaven. In other words, when you are transformed by what God has done in a saving way, there's a change that takes place in your life. You don't only, only express him verbally, but your life exhibits a transformation. And so he says of these false teachers, they say one thing, but they do another. By their actions, they show that they don't submit to the lordship of Christ. The fruit of their life, and this is another thing that Peter, Peter never, ever mentions about these false prophets in all of chapter 2, any positive fruit. And remember, Jesus says, you will know them by your fruit. So there's never any description of the fruit of repentance or the fruit of salvation, only the fruit of one who has denied Christ. So again, I mentioned a little bit earlier our access to the internet and to all these teachers, it's a wonderful thing that we have, but you know what you don't have when you watch somebody online is you have no access to their lives. You have no idea if what they say is matched by how they live. You have no way to assess the words that they're saying because they live a thousand miles away or two thousand miles away. And all you do is you see them on TV, you hear them, but you don't actually Talk to them. You don't go for coffee with them. You don't see them with their spouse or with their children. There's a real danger there. The fourth thing about false teachers is they lead many astray. That's what Peter says in verse, verse 2 of chapter 2. He says there, and many will follow their sensuality. That's just a reminder to us how susceptible we are to words. And we'll talk a little bit about the nature of these words in a moment, but 
in general, I think what he's saying here in general is simply they, they preach and they teach according to popular opinion. They kind of wet their finger and they stick it in the air and they say, so where is the world going right now? What's the happy place for people? I'm going to find a way to, to, to speak sort of theological language in a way, though, that gets at what people really want. It's like government by opinion polls. And we see that today. Government make all kinds of polls, and according to what they say, think the polls are saying, that's the decisions they make. And so false teachers follow opinion polls. Paul says this. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. And by the implication, sound teaching sometimes tells us things that are hard to hear. Sometimes sound teaching, the Word of God, rubs us because it convicts us or it judges us. He says, Their time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Do you know you can always find somebody to justify what you want to do? Always. You can always find a verse in the Bible taken out of context to justify a behavior or an action. But notice, he says, they will lead many astray. Why? Because many will follow, notice what he says, their sensuality. Sensuality, it can in general refer to just the passions of our flesh. Specifically, I think Peter is referring here to sensuality in the way of sexuality and sexual freedom. In other words, he says, false teachers will feed the sensual passions. They will feed the sensual appetites. They will entice, in verse 18 of chapter 2, by sensual passions. They emphasize feeling good rather than finding truth. Sensuality rather than sanctification. I was really intrigued as I read this, this particular line um, in, in verse 2 there, where it says, many will follow their sensuality. The first seven translations that I read all translated that differently. So one of them, I'll read them very quickly. Follow their sensuality, follow their unrestrained ways, follow their lascivious designs, follow their pernicious ways. That's a great word, eh? Pernicious. Um, follow their depraved conduct, follow their depauched behavior, Follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. In other words, many people will follow them and cast off moral restraint, particularly in the area of sex. They encourage sexual freedom as they model the freedom of the sensual lifestyle, and many will imitate their actions. They loudly will proclaim, follow your passions, experiment, get out from under puritanical authority. They, they turn the grace of God and the forgiveness of God into a license to sin. I've heard this many times in church context. Well, I'm under grace. My sins, past, present, and future have been dealt with, so it doesn't matter how I live. Because after all, God is a gracious God, and I can never outdo the grace of God in my life. Peter captures, again, what they mean by encouraging people in passions in verse 10 there, where he says, especially those who indulge in the lust of deviling passion and despise authority. Those two things often go hand in hand, don't they? 
particularly the authority of the Word of God, tells us to live a certain way. It outlines the, the best path of life for us, the, the best path of enjoyment, the best path of, path of peace, the best path of, of healthy, wholesome relationships. There's an authority here, but we despise that authority so that we can follow our passions. We say, oh, God really doesn't care about who I sleep with. God really doesn't care about whether I'm married. God really doesn't care about um, 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 uh, uh, gender issues. God doesn't care about any of that. And we pull our, we despise his authority so we can follow our passions. So we reject scripture or we reject our parents or we reject uh, those that teach us. Loved ones, we are never to celebrate what God condemns and we are never to celebrate what God prohibits. So beware of listening to those who tell you what you want to hear. Beware of listening to those who confirm behaviors that when you commit them, you feel guilty about them or you feel shameful about them. Fifthly, the thing about false teachers is they give their way of truth a bad name. They give Christianity a bad name in the end of the day. He says that, that's, what they, that's what he says there. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. In other words, people will say, well, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want that. Or why would I want to be a Christian? They're just no different than anybody else. That's essentially what Peter is saying here. They see, they, they, you know, almost everybody in the world has an intuitive sense of God's law. Because God has placed his law in every single human being. We, are, we image God, and, and as, it, as being in the image of God, there, there's a faint sort of connection with our creator, and part of that is with the morality of our creator and the ways of our creator, and so people who have never gone to church in their life, who have never heard a sermon in their life, or have never read the Bible, they still have sort of an in, intuitive sense of right and wrong. You see that across cultures in the world in which we live. So when they see somebody saying, well, you know, you can be a Christian and live how you want, it blasphemes the way of truth that they intuitively know. And if they know the scripture, then it clearly, well, no, that's not what the Bible says. How can you live like that when the Bible says this? The watching world will never take our profession seriously unless they see our behavior that matches it. It's not saying that Christians are perfect. We never will be perfect this side of heaven. But what do we do when we sin? Does it break our hearts? Does it lead us to repentance? Does it create sorrow in us? Does it create a new, renewed determination to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and to not do that again? Sixthly, the thing about false teachers is follow the money. You guys all know what I'm saying, don't you? Follow the money. He says there very clearly, and, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. We so often can tie things back to the money. A book to sell, or a product to sell, or a lifestyle to sell. Peter says that they have hearts trained in greed. They're skilled at getting at your wallets. If, if you hear consistently somebody 
who wants your money, who wants you to buy their book, who wants you to buy their product, who won't come and speak at your church for less than X amount of thousands of dollars, there should be a flag that goes up in your, in your head. Because people do use the things of God for money. Do you remember Simon the Magician in the book of Acts? He saw the incredible impact of the Spirit of God when the Spirit of God came upon people. He saw how they spoke in other tongues. And he saw an opportunity to make money. He says, oh, give me that gift so that I can go out and I can make money off of that. I think about this regularly. I really don't want to know what the giving in the church is. I, I do get a, 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 a general update just so I know the trends. But I don't want to know because I, I don't want to give in to the temptation of, oh, I preached on that this Sunday. Offerings were like this. Maybe that's what I better emphasize more. Or, oh, that was a particularly hard message and offerings were down. Better not, better not talk about that anymore. There's a temptation to tell people what they want to hear. And often people respond financially to getting what they want to hear. Do you know the power of connecting what you say to financial return? If you make that connection, then you will finally begin to shape your words because, well, it, 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 it has an income return. Loved ones, a, a true teacher, a biblical teacher, is driven by a compulsion to repeat the word of God. Is constrained by a constant fear of deviating from the word of God. Is concerned about sound doctrine. Gives close attention to their lives and their doctrine is aware that it's not often easy to tell people, or it's often easy to tell people what they want to hear. It's very hard sometimes to tell people what they don't want to hear. And so he says, the thing about false teachers is follow the money. And the last thing, the thing about false teachers is their end is destruction. You see that really clearly in chapter 3 there? He says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. I think what's kind of going on in the church and the context that Peter is talking about is, is sort of that these false teachers were pulling an Elijah. Do you remember how Elijah taunted the prophets of Baal when they, when they, they had these um, altars and they had sacrifices on them and they were supposed to pray and the God who answered by fire was the true and the living God? And so Elijah says to the prophets, okay, you guys can go first. And so by about noon, they'd been at it for three or four hours and no fire had fallen. And so Elijah says to him, well, perhaps your God is deep in thought. Or maybe he's busy or traveling somewhere. Or maybe he's relieving himself. He's predisposed somewhere. These men are taunting the living God. They're saying he talks about judgment, but where is it? been talking about it for a long, long time, and it's not happened. We've been, he's been telling us that he, the Son of God is coming again, and when that day comes, there's going to be a day of judgment, but I don't see it. Can you see it anywhere? That's why it's so critical with what Peter says next, because he says, listen, God has judged, and he will judge again, but right now he's withholding judgment because he's merciful. And he wants all to come to a saving knowledge of himself. He says, these 
men are like the false prophets of old. Their condemnation is sure. They have already been condemned. They are guilty. The sentence has been pronounced. The punishment is still waiting, though, and it will come the day when Christ comes back and the day of judgment comes. Proverbs says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. For his eyes are on the ways of humanity, and he sees all their steps. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. So Peter is saying, whose words will you listen to? Will you listen to destructive heresies? See, these are filters that, that we can use in our lives as we just listen to people. Just follow the line of their thinking to the end. It's hard to not just listen to the moment and, and what seems to be good to me and sound good to me now, but follow their line of thinking to the end. If I follow this road of teaching, if I follow this, this thing they're proclaiming to the end, where will it lead me? What will the outcome be? The second thing is, do they ever talk about judgment? Or do they say, no, God's not a God to judge. He's, he's a God of love. There is no judgment coming. We're all going to be, we're all going to go to heaven. We're all going to be, live happily ever after. If there's only unrestrained license to follow your passions and never a comment about judgment and the need to restrain ourselves because of the word that God has given us, then that ought to be a check or a filter. And the final one is, do they want your money? Is there financial gain that they're looking for and wanting from you? Three checks and balances to these sorts of things. Father, we come before you today. And you know that words matter because you spoke to us. And the devil knows that words matter because one of the very first things he said to Adam and Eve was, did God really say? And that's been going on ever since the creation of the world. You have spoken. We have your words written down in Scripture. But we have those around us who say, as God really said, that really won't happen. God's just trying to keep you from having fun and experience life. Father, it really matters that we come to realize that we need to be careful who we listen to. Will you help us sort it out? I know some people probably, Lord, are, are thinking, well, the Bible, who says that's true? Father, we know that your word is true because you have spoken about things in the future that nobody else could have known, and they've come to pass. You have spoken about things in the present, and they have been a reality, and we understand that those things have been true. You tell us the way to live, and that if we don't live that way, we'll experience unhappiness. And that's true. That's what we experience. So we can confirm that your word is, in fact, true. Would you help those who are doubting today? Would you protect some of us who may have been deceived in this last week or these last months or these last years? And Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for holding back on judgment because you want us to come to know you and to experience life in its fullest, both here and in the life to come. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.